We all have our own story. It's a unique journey with twists and turns along the way. But your story doesn't have to be defined by past failures, day-to-day pressures, or concern about an uncertain future. Your story can be something so much more, one full of hope and one full of purpose. One encounter with Jesus can change the entire course of your life and give you a better story. Hello, Crossroads. How's everybody doing today? So glad you're with us on this last weekend of 2018. And uh, I want to start by saying a special thank you because... I know that dozens of you in the room uh, gave us an extra service. You came and served and helped Christmas Eve be the best Christmas Eve we've ever had. And so I just want to say in this moment, and everyone else wants to say, if you were one of our folks that volunteered or you were one of our difference makers, we want to say thank you. So thank you for making it an incredible service. And uh, as for Christmas Eve, this was our best Christmas Eve ever. And so uh, uh, on all of our campuses, uh, we had nearly 700 more people this Christmas Eve than our previous record. And so God is doing some amazing things. And the highlight for me for Christmas Eve uh, was, uh, was the fact that I got to meet a gal after one of the services that I had an opportunity to have a conversation with. Uh, and she came to our church because of an invitation of a friend. And in the course of that, she showed up here and made it very clear to her friend that she had no belief in God or Jesus, but she said, because you're my friend, I'm willing to come. And so she did. And over the course of a few weeks, she accepted Christ, uh, was baptized back in November. And, uh, and then, yes, so it's a pretty cool story. But here's the highlight for me. She came up to me after the service, was in tears, and she said, I'm so excited for Christmas this year. And I said, I bet you are. And she said, no, you don't understand. She said, my daughter, who's five, has never heard the Christmas story, and tomorrow morning we're going to wake up, and I'm going to read it for her for the first time in her life. And so that is the yay God of why we do what we do. And so... Some really cool stories of some of the things that God did and, uh, and that God's up to these days. And, uh, and even in the course of that, just some things that we're seeing in some really good ways. Now, here's the thing. I recognize that for some of you in the room, this may be your first time with us or you're joining us after Christmas Eve and you're trying to check this place out. First off, I need to tell you that one of the premises of being a part of Crossroads Church is that you get the privilege of speaking to your neighbor. And so if If you don't like your neighbor or you and your neighbor are currently fighting, it might be a good opportunity for you to look around and see if you need to find new neighbors for the future events of being a part of our church because we have these opportunities where you turn to your neighbor and you'll have a chance to talk to them. And here's my question today for you to answer with your neighbor. You know, we look into 2018 and when we get to a day like this, for half of us statistically in the room, half of you are saying, I'm going to look at 2019 and what is it that I want to do better? What is it that I want to be? What is the difference that I want to make? And of According to statistics, half of you in the room say, look, this is as good as it gets, and I'm not doing anything else. 
And so today I want to talk to all of us because I want to challenge us with this idea of a better story in 2019. And so here's the question that I want you to answer to your neighbor. What, according to a recent poll, do you think is the number one thing that people said would be their New Year's resolution starting in 2019? So turn to your neighbor and tell them what you think the number one New Year's resolution is. Uh-huh. According to a Marist poll, they discovered that in 2017 as well as 2018, there was a new New Year's resolution that became the number one resolution, and that was being a better person. Being a better person. It surpassed, over the last 10 years, 8 out of 10 years, the last 10 years, the number one resolution was losing weight. How many of you said that? That some, some kind of, there we go. See, that was what we, most of us thought. Why in the world do you think that in our society that we have this shift that's occurred to where we've said now that for me in the 2019, I am not satisfied with where I am, I'm not satisfied with who I am, and for me in 19 or me in 18 or me in 17, I want to be a better person. Now you have to understand the Marist poll specifically just says to folks, do you do New Year's resolutions, yes or no? And the people that said yes... They said, what's your resolution? They didn't even give them a list to choose from. And this was the number one thing that popped up on a list. And and part of it is, is Rabbi Jill Jacobs says this. She says, there's a crisis in the United States today that too many of us have lost the sense of collective responsibility to our neighbors. And so this idea of being a better person is one of the reasons why more and more people are saying, that's my resolution. But the question that I ask is, what does it actually mean to be good? And ironically, experts would agree with this. Psychologists, social psychologists, ethicists, religious leaders all pretty much see eye to eye on the big stuff of what does it mean to be good. We believe that to be good is to be kind, fair, and just. And and, and to be bad means to cheat, murder, and steal. David Pizarro, Cornell University professor who studies moral reasoning, judgment, and emotion, who claims to not be a Christian, says this, the truth is that when you're talking broad strokes, no matter where you look, people value similar traits and characters. He says this, evidence suggests that we're all born with some innate sense of morality and fairness, which makes us sensitive to the distress of others. And then he would continue on and say, are you, you are, are you good if you're a guy who's sweet to his mother, but you're rude to strangers? Are you good if you frequently give money to help refugees, but you cheat on your husband? Moral philosophers say good people are good to everyone, to family and to strangers, to people in their group, and especially to those outside of it. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Purity comes when we accept where we are, but understand that where you are is not where you are to stay. 
Our concept of morality is closely tied to the meaning of life and the idea and the understanding of how do we give our hands and feet to the cause of making this a better place and being a better person. The brother of Jesus, a guy by the name of James, would describe it this way when he was writing to a Jewish audience, and as he was writing to a Jewish audience, he was trying to help them understand the connection of their Jewish faith to their Christian faith and how those two things came together. And in James chapter 1, he would describe it in these terms. James would say this, if you listen to the world, uh, to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror, you see your yourself, you walk away, and you forget what you look like. Just a quick poll here, show of hands. How many of you have ever looked at your watch or your smartphone to see what time it is, only two seconds later to realize that while you looked at it, you forgot the time? Anybody here ever done that? Aha. James is saying, this is what happens inside of so many of us when it comes to asking the question, What's happening in your world? You know, every one of us in the room has a story. And 2018 tells a story. And for some of you in the room, you would say 2018 was a banner year for our family. We, we would go back and our life was better than it's ever been. I got a promotion at work and, and the kids seem to be fine and the grandkids are doing well. Whatever it is, 2018 was a great year. For some of you in the room, I recognize that you're ready for the page to turn to 2019, that you look back on 18, and quite honestly, this was a horrible experience for you, and the reality for you of this year has been that that, that you look back and say, man, I want this year to be over. I'm ready for a new calendar year to happen, but part of the problem for so many of us in the room is that we have come to a place that we've accepted our current reality, and we just say, it does doesn't get any better than this. It may get a little worse than this, but this is as good as it's going to get. And quite honestly, I could really care less about what day it is. I'm going to be the same person that I am, even if I don't like where I'm at. And I think that for many of us in the room, we would say, I'm just satisfied. And the learnings that I've had over the last few years of my life is that the Christian walk is as much of a life-giving exercise as what we see in our own physical bodies. Therefore, your faith is not something that stays stagnant. It's either moving in one direction or it's moving in the other direction. And for many of us in the room who just say, I've kind of seen enough, I've done enough, we've never really taken this opportunity. And this is a time, December 30th, at the end of the year, for us to look in the mirror and to begin to glance long enough and say, what am I actually seeing? What is exactly in front of me? James would conclude the thought by saying this, if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, he describes it a couple of verses later, this idea of putting hands and feet to your faith. He uses the example of what it looks like for you to take care of widows and orphans, using your God-given Christian abilities to take care and see the needs of other people around you and meeting those needs, being the hands and feet of Jesus. He says, if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says, 
and don't forget what you heard, then he listened. He says, God will bless you for doing it. And I would venture to say that almost universally in this room, all of us would love to have a better story in 2019. That regardless of how good or bad your 2018 was, that in 2019, you would love to have a better story. And this is the series of where we're going to go in the coming weeks. Starting next week, we are going to begin to say that every time someone in the New Testament encountered Jesus, their story became better. There was something about a trajectory they were on, whether it was a good trajectory or a bad trajectory, but when they discovered Christ, everything became better. A few years ago, I, I was at a point in my life where, quite honestly, I was really questioning what it was that I was doing, who I was, where I was at, even in relationships and all those kind of things. And I come to this reality when I was sitting around alone in my home one night, I realized as I was looking back at about this season, I was looking back into my life and I thought, for the last year, I really have accomplished nothing. And then I thought, well, what about the previous year? I've really accomplished nothing. And I was asking it from the gauge of what difference have I made for the sake of the kingdom of God. You see, because there was a part of it that I could say, well, I had, I, had, I had a job, I was moving in the right direction in my career, I'd received a couple of raises and promotions, and, and I had gathered new friends, and I had some new people around me and some stuff and things of that nature. But when I was asking the question of what have I done for the sake of the kingdom of God, I looked back over the course of three years, and I started to say, man, I've really not advanced the cause of Christ over the last three years. And so it caused me to start asking some very serious questions. And in the course of that, I contacted a friend of mine who's a, a life coach, and I said to him, could you be willing to sit down with me and have a conversation? And over the course of two days, he sat down and had this conversation about beginning to do exactly what James says, and that is to look in the mirror and to pause long enough to ask the questions, am I really glad where I am today? Am I at a point or a place of where I can look tomorrow and see that tomorrow is going to be a better story than today's story. And so as I sat down with this individual, we sat, and, and the first thing that he did is he, he divided my life up into 10-year increments, and he said, okay, here's what I'd like for you to do is take 0 to 10, 10 to 20, 20 to 30, and I'd like for you to take a look at those 10-year increments and write down the three to five things that shaped your 10 years over the course of each of those, whether they were good, whether they were bad, whether they were tragic, or whether they were triumphant. Think about those things that, that formed your life, because because today you're making choices and decisions based upon what happened at 0 to 10, what happened 10 to 20, what happened 20 to 30, or 40 to 50, wherever it may be in your existence, you begin to take a look at that. And as we began to look, and I looked over my life, and I saw those kind of things, I began to recognize that life was formed in so many ways, but there are four major categories, and if you have notes, this is where you can take the notes, that all of our lives have a tendency to be in together. If you were to categorize your life. And the first one is this. Uh, there's a personal side to your life. If, for instance, you are saying to yourself in 2019, I want to lose weight. 
or in 2019, I want to be healthier, or in 2019, I want to eat healthier, I want to do, read, read more books, or in 2019, I want to do these things personally. There's a personal aspect to your life, and every one of us have that. Maybe it's, a, I'm going to go to the gym every day, six hours a day, and I'm going to just be the ultimate uh, person in the gym, or whatever it may be, but there's a personal aspect that each of us have in our life that we look at, whether you agree or disagree with where you currently are, there's a personal side. It's one of the categories that we all tend to fall in. A second category that we fall in is the spiritual social category. Now, why would I put these two together? Because for many of you who are connected in groups and you look at your circle of friends and all of your friends may be Christians, your spiritual social life is connected all together with your church life in some different ways. For others of you who say, you know what, I'm just here today, I came Christmas Eve and I'm checking this place out again, I'm not really a Christian, then you look at your social circle. It's a category of your life, of who your friends are and how those friends influence you. And the idea of spiritual life is that I've learned over the years that most of us have a tendency to just veer into our spiritual existence. We don't look into the mirror and say, am I the person that God wants me to be? Am I who Jesus Christ died for? Am I becoming that person? That most of us have a tendency to just kind of go with the flow. And if things are good, they're good. And if they're not so good, they're not so good. But we just kind of flow along with this. It's a category of our life. The third category that most of us have is the category of work. This is the category of your job. And many of you in the room, somebody has already set parameters for you and said 2019, you'll produce this, you'll make this better, you'll figure these kind of things out. But here's the question. You've never really asked the question, is this really what I'm designed to do? I've learned over the time that, that, that many of my friends have just said yes to a job because it was available in that season, but they never really paused in that moment and said, is this who God made me? Is this how I'm wired? Whether for you, your job may be in corporate America, or your job may be on a farm, or your job may be a stay-at-home mom, or your job may be to be the best grandparent to your grandkids, whatever it is that you are, most of us have not, over the course of a long period of time, looked into the mirror and said, is this exactly what I'm supposed to be? Is this where God wants me? And then there's a fourth and final one, and this is our family life. This one falls into the category of, of our family, the people that you see around you the most. Maybe in the course of your family, it's, it's a, a spouse and kids. Maybe for you, it's grandkids. Maybe for you, as an aunt or an uncle, it's your nieces and your nephews. Or maybe for you, as a single, you would say that your friends are your family. And so asking the question, the people that I'm hanging out with, how are we doing? If we're looking in the mirror and we're looking at this and beginning to recognize this. So how do we figure these things out? And so what I want to do is this, and where we're going to go today is that as my friend began to ask me this, I began to recognize that in these four areas, there were certain areas I was doing very well in, and then there were certain areas that I wasn't doing so well, and that I really hadn't asked the questions to be able to begin to grow to have a better story the following year. And so I learned that in this, if you look at these four areas and you put it on a piece of paper, even in a quadrant, there are three major questions for you 
to ask to be able to look in the mirror and to say this, am I continually growing for Christ? Three major questions, and here's the questions. Ready? Because turn to your neighbor and say, are you ready? You got to turn to them and ask them if they're ready. This is part of the idea of looking back, reflecting in the mirror. The first question is simply this, what is right? Turn to your neighbor and say, what is right? You notice that for some of us in the room who tend to be optimists, this is our question. For some of us in the room who tend to be pessimists, this isn't our question. And part of the problem for some of us is we never take a pause and look long enough to ask the question, what is right? And my challenge to you is sometime over the course of the next 24 to 48 hours that you would take just a few moments, look at those four categories, and ask the question, what is right? What is right about my physical nature? What is right about my work environment? What is right about my religious environment? What is right about my family? What are the things that are right about the world that I'm a part of? Paul would describe it this way in Philippians chapter 4. It's become kind of a life verse for me. And he says it this way. Now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Paul says to fix our thoughts on these things. And the challenge for some of us is that we have been so busy fixing our thoughts on the opposite end of these things, of the wrong things, of the negative things, of the things in our world that aren't going right, of the things in our world that seem to be wrong. And some of us are living perpetually again and again on the idea that everything is wrong in our world. Let me just give you some help with this. If you're struggling with the idea of what's right, I'm looking around the room, and for the most part, everybody's sitting up. That's something that's right. Now, you may think, well, that's pretty simple, Pastor. Over the last few weeks, I've seen friends of mine that I've been to visit in a nursing home who has not been able to sit up for six months, and they'd love to be in a seat where you're at right now. Most of you, if not all of you, walked in here. I have a friend of mine who he can't even get out of his wheelchair. That's the best he can do is to get out of his wheelchair because he will never walk again. And so the idea of what's right is something that many of us tend to elude and we look at it and say, well, this isn't right and this isn't right, but we don't go to the place where we can look at and say, these are the things that are right. This is why Paul says in this moment, begin to fix your thoughts on these things. Look around your family. There are some things that are right about your family. If they show up at home every night, that's right. Because there are families where kids don't show up at night. I know. I've dealt with some of those families. If you've got a, a wife and you may just say, well, you know, our marriage isn't the strongest that it should be, be glad with the fact that you have a spouse that's at home. Because in the last several months, I've walked through couples where a spouse decided to walk away. And quite honestly, they would give anything to have a spouse that stays with them. 
And so when you begin to think about what is right in your world, ask yourself this question and begin to write down some of the things that are right in your world. Paul would conclude by saying this as he would find out. He'd say, keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. Ask the question, what is right? Let me give you an example of how this works. Uh, every year, December 31st, our family sits down and we take about an hour, two hours tops, and we ask these three questions that I'm asking you. This is an exercise that we do as a church staff around here. This is an exercise that we've done within our leadership here at Crossroads, and we ask these three questions, and the first question is, what is right? And I remember sitting down, you have to understand, the ages of my kids are five, nine, and ten. And we sat down, and we asked our kids, hey, what's right? And last year, I remember them immediately beginning to talk about some of the things that were right. One of my daughters immediately spoke up, and she said, Dad, you took me to dad camp this, this year. And, and the fact that I got to spend an entire weekend with you at dad camp, that is right. And I thought, man, that's great. Another one of my daughters was talking about a date that we went on. And I asked her where she wanted to go. I said, I'll take you to any restaurant. And she's like, any? And I said, yes. And she goes, then let's go to Culver's. <laughs> and when we asked the question, what's right? She talked about the things of going on a date with her dad. And she talked about how I opened the door for her and described to her that someday when a boy asks you out, he will do these things for you and honor you this way. And then I opened the door for her again into the restaurant and I paid. And as I paid, I said, someday a boy who's going to ask you out is going to pay for you. And these are things of honor. And my daughter remembered that. And for her, that's what was right. My son is five. We asked him, so what's right about our family? He said, in, in, in relationship to me, he said, Dad always lets me ride on the mower. That's what's right with him. He loves that we get to ride on our mower and our John Deere tractor goes a maximum speed of seven miles an hour, and he thinks that's the coolest thing ever is to hop on that thing and for us to ride around the yard. But the thing about it is we ask the question, what is right with our family? Here's the second question. What's wrong with our family? What's wrong with my work? What's wrong in my personal life? What is wrong in my spiritual life right now? You see, here's the thing. The reflection in a mirror isn't just for you to look at it and say, man, this package could not get better. The reflection in the mirror is for you to say, there's some pretty cool qualities here. But there's also some things that I don't necessarily like, that I wish was a little bit better. There are some things that I wish were, were better in this. And the same thing is true with our family. I remember as we were talking about the, the idea of what's right and what's wrong, our kids were very quick to respond to one of the things that was wrong, is that uh, uh, there's a very generous family in our church that, that owns a lake house, and every year they give us the privilege of going to this lake house and spending a week. Our kids love it. Our kids think it is their lake house. They think they own the lake house. And we tell them, you don't own it, it's not yours, but they love it. And when I asked our kids, what's wrong with our family, the very first thing they said, almost immediately all three of them we didn't go to the lake house last year you see they knew that there were things 
that they wish they'd seen in the past and they wish were still true today. And the same question is for you. What's right about the stuff that you're doing? What's wrong about the things that are going on? And asking this question. In the Old Testament, there was a prophet by the name of Haggai, and, and, uh, and, and God had called him to be a prophet to tell the nation of Israel this idea that even though there's so many things that you think are right, there are some things that are wrong, and the problem is you're so focused on yourself that you're missing the things that are wrong. I mean, listen to what he says in Haggai, the first chapter, verses 5 through 6. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. You have planted much, but you harvest little. You eat, but you're not satisfied. He continues on by saying this. You drink, and you're still thirsty. You put on clothes, but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. He goes through the rest of the book of Haggai saying to the nation of Israel that you haven't taken an evaluation of yourself. You've not looked and you think that everything's fine, but the truth of the matter is it's falling apart around you. Asking the question of what is wrong is a great question to ask. But to ask it after what is right for you to have an honest assessment for some of you in the room. You know you're not feeling as healthy as you should. That there's something in you that just doesn't feel right. And you don't want to look into the mirror. And the reason is because it's going to require you to go get testing and to go to see a doctor. And you're like, I'm too good to go see a doctor. I don't want to do those kind of things. And you're not asking the question of what's wrong. And your family suffers because of it. For others of you, you've shown up at a job for five years or ten years that quite honestly isn't for you. It's not the thing that you feel God called you to do. It's not the thing that you do. And the only reason you do it is for the sole purpose of you trying to earn a paycheck. And quite honestly, even then, you complain that it's not enough money. And you know it's wrong. You know this isn't who God wired you to be, and you know you do substandard work at, at, the, at the office, and the reason you do is because it's not who you are, but you don't want to look in the mirror. You don't want to take an honest look of yourself and say, this is what's wrong. Maybe for some of you, you know your family's been drifting for quite some time. You've recognized it. You've seen some of the cracks in the armor. You've seen things turn out not quite the way that you wanted to, and you know that it's not really there. Maybe for you, it's your marriage. I mean, you've recognized now all of a sudden you're just like two people passing in the night and you don't even recognize your spouse. And for you, you hear the thing of re-engage, you think, oh, that's a great idea. But why would, our, why would we sign up for that? That's for other people, not us. You look in the mirror and you walk away like you've never even seen yourself. So what's wrong? The third and final question that we ask, what's missing are confused. There are some things in your world that just aren't there. There are some things that you're confused about that when you begin to figure this out, and maybe this goes into the medical piece where you're like, I'm not really feeling well right now and, and I don't know what my numbers are. I, I don't know what my, my cholesterol level is. I don't know what my blood pressure is currently. I don't know what my sugar count may be. And so you're looking at it and going, I'm kind of, it's missing and confused. And you look in the mirror and you know something's not right, but you don't want to answer this question. And this becomes a great opportunity for you to say, so what is it that we're doing that we're missing or we're confused on? What is, what is right? What is wrong? What is missing or confused? 
Like I said, this is something, it's an exercise that I do with our staff here at Crossroads. And every year we ask these questions. We look around and say, what's right about the things that we're doing at Crossroads? And everybody has a list of the things that are right. What's wrong? And we have lists of the things that are wrong. And then we ask the question, what's missing or confused? And we go through a list and say, you know what? I don't understand why we do this. Or we said we were going to do this and this didn't happen. Or how do these things work? And how do those things come together? And the problem is when we don't do this, it's like we're looking in a mirror and we just get up and we walk away. So what's right? What's wrong? What's missing or confused? Paul would describe this in the book of 2 Corinthians in this regard. He would say this, examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If not, you failed the test of genuine faith. You see, this understanding and concept of a better story in 2019 has everything to do with Jesus being the centerpiece of your world. And for some of you, when you begin to look at a verse like this and you examine yourselves long enough, you recognize, you know what? At one time, I had a relationship with Jesus. At one time, we were close. And quite honestly, now we just kind of drift along. And we're just kind of going in our own direction. We're figuring ourselves out. And this is why Paul would conclude the idea of 2 Corinthians to the church of Corinth. He would say, guys, examine yourself to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. And some of us would say, I don't know. He's not really in my family. He's not in my job. He's not in my, I don't know if he's at my church. He's not anywhere in my life. I don't see him personally in my life. And if you were to take a long look at yourself, you would say, I don't know if Jesus is present in my world. What's right? What's wrong? What's missing or confused? And then... This is the final product. You write it out. You put it on a piece of paper, and you write those things out. This is what's right. We're going to keep doing these things. These are the things that are wrong. We're going to stop doing these things. These are the pieces of the puzzle that we don't really understand, and we're going to begin to do some of these things to make 2019 a better story in our life. Let me give you a living example of how this works because this is the final product that our family came up with last year. Our, our, my wife's very creative, so she made it into this creative document. It's actually put in our kitchen, and so we see this every single day, and it's a reminder to us of the things in our world. And you have to understand, I've got kids that are 5, 9, and 10, and we began to write down some of these things and take a look at them, and you can see, if you look at the big picture, that there's some things with check marks that we actually did, and then there's some things without check marks. For instance, these right here, this, this year, we ended up going to the lake house. Our kids did awesome. Our son got to catch his very first fish. If you ask him, it's the biggest fish ever. It was a six-ouncer about this big. But man, he loves talking about the fish story. And our kids love talking about the time that they got to spend our girls talk about dad camp and how much they love the fact that, that I was willing to take an entire weekend away from you, the people that I love, and spend it directly with my two daughters and just invest in them unequivocally for an entire weekend. And our girls said, Dad, we got to do that again next year. 
And then you can see some personal, physical items that we're going to eat and drink better, that we'll only have soda at home, that we'll cut out refined sugar at home, and we'll exercise three to four times a week. And you can see some of these have check marks, and some of these, whoa, we punted, we didn't do so well on But at least we took the reflection in the mirror. You can see some of the personal items with some of our kids. And I'm not going to tell you which kid it is. We we blocked out the kids here. But but one of our kids this year, they wanted to own their own mistakes. We're the only home in America that when something goes wrong, everybody blames everybody else. (laughs) And so one of our kids said, I want to own my own mistakes. That's what's missing and confused in my world is that sometimes I know I'm to blame and I just need to own that. Other times, I'm not really honest. I need to be honest. And I need to, I need to quit lying because when I know I'm going to get in trouble, I try to cover it up as best as I can. And so they wrote some of these things down. Uh, th- this was one of our kids wanted to be able to do the splits all ways. Well, actually, this is me. I was going to try to, no, just kidding, <laughs> just kidding. But you notice some of these different things that happen. And then I left my name on here, and you notice there's not a lot of check marks beside my name here. But I can tell you this, that even though I may not have dated my wife one time a month, last year we went out three times, this year we went out ten different times. And she notices there's a difference when we spend time together. And our kids notice a difference when we spend times together. And, and they notice that we're trying to do some of these things. And then there's some of the things that we didn't get a chance to do. We, we, we had hoped last year to take our kids to Disney World. They've not been there yet, and we were hoping to do that. But financially, as we were budgeting through the year, it just didn't quite work out. And, and that's okay, because here's the last piece. And please hear this if you hear nothing else from today. Hear this very plainly, because I don't want you to miss this last piece. Accept his grace for your failures. Some of you in the room are type A personalities and you do this exercise and if you don't have a check mark by every box, your year is ruined. Understand that that isn't the purpose of doing this. The idea is for you to look and say, this is what's right. This is what's wrong. These are the missing and confused things. These are the things that we can work on. And we will work on some of them. Not all of them. We may not accomplish all of them. We may not get all half of them done. But at least we've made strides over the previous year. We know where we are. We've examined ourselves to notice that we're in a place we need to be. And the challenge for you is to make this happen in your world. Paul would put it this way because Paul had this thorn in his flesh and he begged God to take it away a number of times. And this is God's response to Paul. And this is my response to many of you in the room who right now are saying, I will not do this exercise. Pastor, thank you, but I'm not going to do it because if I can't check off every box, I will want to quit. I will not want to be a part of this. I'll be depressed for months. Let me say this to you. Each time God said to Paul, my grace is all you need. That for you, if there's a habit in your life that's a continual failure and you wish that it would overcome and you look in the mirror and say, what's wrong with my life is my drinking and I need to stop it, then write it down. And if for some reason it doesn't happen this year, then let God's grace be enough for you. 
If your habit is you look in the mirror and you realize that you're not as honest as you would like to be, write it down. And if it didn't work, then you let God's grace cover you. This isn't a matter of the idea of my sins. God can't cover those, and so i got to do more right things than wrong things. This exercise is an opportunity for you to become the man or woman that God called you to become in your family, in your life, in your work, in your church, and for you to continue to grow in that. And when you fall short of that, then let the grace of God come and permeate your world. You know why? Because God's power works best in your weakness. Another one of my favorite stories from Christmas Eve was a hug that I received from one of the guys who this past year, after 50 years of a drinking problem, chose to become sober for the first time in his life. And the thing about it was he came up with tears in his eyes and he said, Pastor, I can now say for the first time since I was seven years old that I've not had a drink in over a hundred days. You have to understand that for him, he gets this. He recognizes it. That if he were going to write it down every year, he would have written it down. I will give up drinking this year. It's cost me two marriages. It's cost me family members. It's cost me jobs. It's cost me lots of things. But he finally came to the realization that, God, your grace is sufficient for me. And even though I don't think I can walk away from this alcohol, with your help and your strength, I can do it. And I can tell the people around me that I'm recovering from this, and they will come alongside me. And, God, you will provide the strength in my world for this to happen. And so for you, let this happen. Because Paul says, I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Here's what I'm learning. Number one, I'm not all the husband that I need to be. But his grace is sufficient even in my weaknesses. At times, I'm not the dad that I need to be. When I tell you stories of my kids, there are also a lot of negative stories. When I asked my kids what was wrong last year, the first thing that one of our kids said was they said, Dad, it seems like that you tend to yell at us a lot. And I thought, i got to work on that one. His grace is sufficient for me. So what's right in your world? What's wrong? What's missing or confused? Are you willing to do, as James described, take an opportunity in these next couple of days and look in the mirror and ask the question, how do I make 2019 a better story than I had in 2018? That is the challenge for you. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I know that there are some in the room who find contentment where they are in this moment. And so, Lord, my prayer is that you would move them, that you would grow them to discover that you can be deeper than they ever imagined, that your love can be greater than they've ever seen, and that your grace can be more sufficient than they've ever known. And so, God, help us this week 
each of us to take an honest look, whether we do it as a family, as we do, or whether we'll do it as an individual, to take just a few moments or maybe a couple of hours and ask the question, what's right, what's wrong, what's missing or confused? And Lord, begin to work towards 2019, whether we see ourselves as 15 in this room or we see ourselves as 75 or 80, God, you still want 2018 to be a better story or 2019 to be a better story for every single one of us. So we say this, Jesus, in your holy name, we ask you to lead us into falling more in love with you than ever before. In your name we pray and all God's people said,